I don't know if you recognize it or not, but this church is changing. Do you feel it? Are you experiencing it? I believe with all my heart that God wants to do something wonderful in the life of this church, and he's going to do it through you. He's going to do it through you. Do you believe that? You do? Awesome. That's very good. Uh, last week, I had the opportunity to be at Wesley Acres. We were there for a little over a week, week and a half. And as part of being there, I had the opportunity of speaking there last Sunday. And uh, we were speaking on revival and renewal in the life of the church. It was wonderful to see the altar full. I believe that God wants to do something special in these days. And he wants to breathe into us and speak to us. Really, the thrust of our hope is the fact that God breathes life into dead things. And because of that, we have hope. What's amazing about what we're going to talk about this morning is, is that as we've looked through, as we've been looking through the book of Acts and dipping into certain passages, it's interesting that we're starting to run out of time. There's got, it's very squeaky, and um, if anybody leaves, everybody would know. So this way, everybody knows that door's squeaky up there. So, so somebody will take care of that this week, I hope. If not, I'll spray it with something. I don't know, WD-40 or something. <laughs> you just never know, right? So today we pick up our story in Acts chapter 26. So if you have your Bible with you or you want to look on your device, then uh, you can pick that up there. Um, but this story really starts back in Acts chapter 21, where charges are brought against the Apostle Paul, and it travels with him these five chapters. And several miles, as his case is being brought before different courts and different leaders, different magistrates, and he's pleading his case. In Acts chapter 26, Paul's on trial for what he did in walking into the temple. He's, he is charged with the fact that he brought a Greek into the temple, which is indeed not the case. And if you're to just to pop into different groups and just hear their opinion about Paul, um, they would have different ideas about why he's here. So if you talk to the Jewish people, they'd be very specific. They'd say, well, Paul's on trial because he's violated the Jewish law, plain and simple. He shouldn't have brought that guy into the, into the uh, temple. He's desecrated the temple by bringing him there, and he's not allowed to do that. Jews, Jew, uh, the Jewish people would say that he's violated the Jewish law. And he's steering, the other thing that they would say is that he's steering people away from the hope that's in Moses and the law and the prophets and pointing them to Jesus. And we don't like that. So that's why he's on trial. If you popped out of that group and you went over and you talked to the Romans, the Romans would say that Paul's on trial because he's, he's creating a disturbance in the city. One thing for Romans is they didn't like chaos. They didn't like that at all. And they found that there's this disturbance both in Caesarea and Jerusalem, and they didn't like that. And if you're found to be a person that was leading them in that direction, the Romans would just as soon take you out, to, out of the city and kill you. You wouldn't come back. 
They would just take you out and you'd be done. So the Roman citizens would say, well, he, he's on trial. We know that because he's causing this great disturbance. Uh, what's interesting is not why the Jews think he's on trial, and it's not why the Romans think that he's on trial. But what's interesting is about why Paul thinks he's on trial. What's he going to do about that? Listen to what Paul has to say to us, why he's appearing before King Agrippa, who oversees the whole region of, of, of Rome, and he's going to have to give his defense to King Agrippa. Acts chapter 26, verses 4 to 5. The Jewish people all know the way I've lived ever since I was a child, from the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time and can testify, if they're willing, that I conform to the strictest sect of our religion, living as a Pharisee. No, no one kept the law any better than the Pharisees. They, they crossed all the T's and they dotted all the I's. They wore the right clothes in the right season. I, I don't think I could ever be a Pharisee. I just would never be able to hold up to that. He says that my manner of life from my youth, spent from the very beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem, is known to all the Jews. I have been an open book. Listen, folks, look at me. This is who I am. There's nothing that I hide. There's no skeletons for me. He was consistent. He said, I was public with the way that I lived out my faith in the old, from the Old Testament scriptures. I read them and I adhered to them. They've known me for a long time. I've not tried to hide any of it. Matter of fact, in the book of Philippians, Paul says, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was born in the tribe of Benjamin. I was zealous for the law. So if you're ticking all the boxes, Paul would tick all the boxes off. I've accomplished everything that would be any good Jewish boy would want to do. And then he tells why he's on trial. Verse 6, And now it is because of my hope in what God has promised our ancestors that I'm on trial today. See, back then, they were talking about this Savior that was going to come, this Messiah that was going to come, and I'm here today on trial because of that man. The Jews would say, Paul, you're on trial because you violated the law and you have desecrated the temple. The Romans would say, well, no, you've caused a lot of chaos, and for that reason, we're going to take you out. But Paul says that I have been jailed for the last two years, really the last five chapters in the book of Acts. I've been on trial because of the hope that I have inside of me. The question is this morning is, is that as you live your life, do you have that hope inside of you? Do you are you living off the hope of someone else? Are you living off the hope of what you were given by your parents or by your spouse or by your kids? But do you know the hope that Paul is talking about? Every one of us will find ourselves at some point on trial for the hope that we have. Where is your hope, really? Maybe over the course of the last year, we've really started to discover where our hope is. Is it in the medical system? Is it in our government? Is it in your, is it in your funds that you possess? For many of us, hopefully, it, turned out, it turns out hopefully that our hope is in what Paul possesses and the hope that he has. 
all of us will find ourselves at the point in life where we have, a, have to give a defense for our hope. Why do you have the hope? Why do you have hope in Jesus? Why do you have hope in someone that lived so many years ago? Why is that? Do you have hope that sustains you in the darkest of times? Or is your hope something that's fleeting? Bless you. And again, you're going to stand trial for your hope. You're going to stand trial for your hope. The question is not will we stand trial like Paul did. The question is will there be enough evidence to convict you? Will there be enough evidence to convict you of your hope? For being a person of hope. Now, that's a, that's, a, that's a bit of a strange question because when we try to um, give a de definition for hope, there's probably about 10 different ways that we can define hope. I hope that you have a good day. I hope my health situation turns around. I hope everything goes well, and I hope, I hope, I hope. We use it in all sorts of ways. Hope can be, if you've ever tried to have hope, especially in the difficult, darkest times, you know, it's the kind of thing that's like uh, grabbing jello. I don't know the last time you ever did that. Maybe, maybe you're too old for that. But just when you think you have a hold of it, what happens? It, it, it slips through your hands. It's hard to hold on to. I think sometimes... The difficulty that we have with hope is because of the fact that we have the, uh, a uh, wrong perspective. I think often we think that hope is simply a fairy tale. So we use the word hope that way, don't we? It's this idea that we have something that may or may not happen in the future, but really what it boils down to is we have no conviction in our heart or our soul that it actually will. So an example would be this. Some of us would hope that the Leafs win the Stanley Cup. Some of us would actually have that hope. And your response shows that you hope the same thing, and we're usually uh, hoping in such a way that none of us really believes that's going to happen. I, I hope I get a new job. I hope we get a new house. I hope things work out with the spouse that doesn't seem like it's going to. The relationship is going well. I hope it leads to this. I, I hope there's reconciliation. I hope it leads to marriage. I hope, I hope, I hope. This is kind of a fairy tale, perhaps thinking. And what we have is a hope that's centered on circumstances changing and trending in a good direction. For followers of Jesus... If it's not hopes and wishes and fairy tales, and it's not circumstances, where is it that we build our hope? Paul is talking about that today. Where do we go as people of hope? Paul says it in verses 6 and 7. And now it is because of my hope and what God has promised our ancestors that I'm on trial today. This is the promise our 12... 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. King Agrippa, it is because of this hope that these Jews 
are accusing me. The reason that I stand trial before you is because I'm a person, a man who built my life, and I live in hope specifically. Listen to verse 8. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? Paul is going to distinctly describe Christian hope for us. It's not about fairy tales and wishes. It's not about circumstances trending in a great direction because we both know that one phone call can change all of that. Wrong diagnosis or a diagnosis that's given to us can change all of that. So what is the hope that we hold on to? Here's what Paul says. That hope is simply, yet complexly, this. I don't even know if that's a word. Hope is the life-shaping faith and practice that God is good with his promises. That God is good with his promises. I'm staking, he says, my hope on everything that I have read from our ancestors. And they said that all of this would happen. And you know what? God has been faithful. And he's brought all of these to be true. And there are times in our life, part of the reason why we meet like this, and in our small groups, is a constant reminder that as the barrage of things come our way, that we still trust in a God that was a place of hope for our ancestors, and it's a place of hope for us today. Paul would say we, we don't turn to our circumstances and we, we don't turn to what we see with just our eyes. We turn to God who is holy every single time, God good on the promises that he makes. Dallas Willard has said this. He's a pastor and author. He puts it this way. Hope is the confident anticipation of good. So I ask you, what, where is your hope? What kind of hope do you have? Some of us have faced some pretty challenging times. I would say that those of us who are people of faith have this, our faith based on promises that God has made. And we do that because we're not ignorant of the truth that God has. What I mean by that is, is that we are we're in tune with what God is saying through his word. We cannot really understand what God's truth is and what his promises are unless we read them and digest them and have found them to be true over here. So when we were running headlong into some challenging times over the last three years, as a pastor, my concern and the burden of my heart was that as all of the sheep were moving in that direction, pardon the fact that I'm calling you sheep, but as you were moving along, blatting, blatting away, my concern was that you would stay true to the promises that God had for you and you'd hold fast, even whether you could meet here on a Sunday morning or not whether you could meet in your small group or not. But the things that you had learned previously would be the things that would sustain you 
and hold you through all of that. These promises that he said that the, that the ancestors, he had learned from the ancestors. Many ways you held true. Many ways you continue to walk in that way. I think now, as we have come out of that, is my desire is, is that God would light a fire in his church like we've never seen before and ignite us to all the possibilities that he has for us in the future. That we would dream the dreams, that we would have these visions, that God would lead us into what that future is. I love the fact that God is bringing new people to his church, to this church. And you are helping to make us alive. You are bringing the God that is served around the nations. You are the faces of the nations. And we are blessed as this church moves forward. And it'll be different than we've ever experienced before. We trust in this because God is this God of hope. When Paul's on trial, they're going to find him guilty. They're going to find him guilty of this hope. When he stood trial, there was nothing that could sway him from the fact that he knew who God was that God was faithful back here, that God was faithful with him here. He didn't know what the future was, but he knew that God was going to be faithful no matter what that looked like. They're going to find him guilty. I don't know about you, but I hope one day they find me guilty. Of being a person that hope has gotten so deeply inside of me that it naturally comes out. So the person at the gas station knows who it is that I serve. The, the person wherever that I rub shoulders knows that somehow I'm different. They came to know that Paul was different because he had this hope. And when I face an uncertain future, I pray that I still have hope. I think in the midst of all the things that we faced, for me... There continued to be that unswerving depth of hope that I had, not knowing what, what was around the corner, that God was still going to be in control. Paul had the same thing. I love the way he says this in verse 8, because he's going to tie his hope to one distinct event, and he says this, Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raised the that God raises the dead. So here's his hope. His hope is on the good promises of God as found in the person and the work of Jesus walking right out of that grave, walking right out of that tomb. This was the hope of the early church. It wasn't the hope of Easter. It wasn't, it was the hope that they built their faith on and be willing themselves to go to their deaths because they believed that Jesus Christ had been risen from the dead and it was God that had done that. And if God could raise Jesus from the dead, no matter what came their way as, as believers, as we read through the book of Acts, it doesn't matter. They still had faith that Jesus would be with them. That, 
that he had been raised from the dead, and so could they be. He had this incredible hope that God speaks into dead things. And for all kinds of reasons, maybe it's relationships, maybe it's job, maybe it's your health, maybe it's whatever it is this morning that you would say, I have hope for. Not some fairy tale, but you have hope for. But the very same one that raised Jesus from the dead is able to bring life and hope into your situation. There's this promise. The promises of God that are there for us. And God who kept those promises says to you and says to me that I'm good, that you're good. And he says to me, I'm good. And he says to you, I love you. I'm for you. And if you're on trial for your hope, would there be enough evidence to convict you? I'm going to ask us to bow our heads. We recognize that Paul, as we read about Paul, has this tremendous hope as he goes before each of the judges, as he goes before each of the magistrates, knowing that in the end, his hope is in Jesus Christ. My prayer for us as a church, as a people, is that we would know and experience what it means to have our hope in Jesus. Have our hope in everything that led to him coming, his death and his resurrection. I pray, Father, that you would come to know us and that we would come to know you. And if there's anyone here this morning that has never said yes to Jesus, who've never said that they want to follow after Jesus, never recognize that there's a separation between them and God because of their sin, that today would be the day that they would say yes to God because of sending his son Jesus. May they be able to recognize that their sin is forgiven because of what Jesus did on the cross when he died for us and that we're forgiven and that we can have new life because of him being raised back from the dead. Thank you, Father, for what you're going to do, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.